the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Dissecting today in this edition of Lifeline all of the power struggles that we see at so many levels within our relationships, within our history, uh, really going back to the beginning of time tonight with Andy Crouch. Um, He, of course, does not go quite back to the beginning of time, but he's been around for a while, enough to be able to be executive editor of Christianity Today, a prolific writer. One of his other best-selling books includes Culture Making, Recovering Our Creative Calling. We're talking today, though, about his latest book, newly published by University Press, called Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. Interesting, Andy, when we talk about the ways in which sometimes power gets distorted, we always have that sense that power is about getting my way. And if I just get my way, I'm somebody that's very powerful. And yet sometimes surrendering parts of ourselves, while perceived perhaps in the flesh to be weakness, actually can be quite powerful, can't it? Yes, and, uh, you know, it's amazing how often you, how much time you spend in the first chapter of Genesis when you start thinking about this, because, of course, the first chapter of Genesis begins with God, the Creator, who we know as Christians is three persons, three in one, and there's that interesting moment in Genesis 1 where God actually says, let us make humankind. And that uh, Creator is already complete. He has his way, if you want to put it that way, already, without making the world. And yet this God desires to bring into being a world that's going to have all of these other creatures, starting with very simple creatures uh, in the first days of creation, as, it's, as the story is told, but then culminating in these creatures who are made in his image. He actually wants partners. And so when we think about the highest form of power, I think we do often think, boy, if I really had power, I would just say, you know, do it, and people would do it. <laughs> they would basically be little uh, robots obeying my commands. Um, and this is what we think it would be like to be God, to be able to just move things around and move uh, persons around without regard to what they want. But it seems like the deeper form of power is actually to call into being other other persons who can actually collaborate with you, because that's what God essentially invites these creatures made in his image to do, to be his representatives in the midst of creation. So, you know, we really have to get away from this idea that the, the realist form of power is control or command, and realize that actually the realist form of power is creation and collaboration. That's when you have the most powers, when other people actually take up their own creative abilities. And and that understanding, that perspective is is critically important, isn't it? Because if we're going to redeem power, then there has to be something worthy of being Uh redemptive there. And so often, as I say, I think, Andy, a lot of us mistake power for meaning that means you get to do whatever you want to do in order the other people around to do your bidding, which, as we're learning, is absolutely not the case at all. So then at the end of the day, it's understanding that perspective that allows us to see the good of power and how this can be then redeemed for God's purposes. 
That was one of the big breakthroughs for me, was when I realized we often talk about power as if it's the same thing as dominance or domination. And actually, that domination is a, is a very weak form of power. If all I have over you is the ability to make you do things that you don't want to do, I actually have very little real power. And it's interesting uh, you mentioned that. I remember thinking back to a lot of the media reports, for example, over Ariel Castro. They, this is that uh, guy there in Cleveland that kidnapped Amanda uh, Berry and, and wow. two other girls. Uh, and you would read the story on the surface and see the way which he had held these girls in, in the basement of this house with uh, wire ties around their wrists and chains and everything else. And you think, well, there's demonstrative of this guy being so powerful, wielding all this power over these girls. And yet the deeper you get into the psyche and the story, oh, you begin know. to realize, no, this guy's not powerful at all. In fact, he's pretty powerless. Yes. And, the, and you know, Paul uh, will use the language of impri- imprisoned or slave. You know, a slave especially in the ancient world, with someone who had absolutely no power of their own, completely dependent on their master. And Paul says, if we really get, gave into that idea of domination, if we got what we think we want, which Ariel Castro did kind of get for a time, what he thought he wanted, the ability to dominate, we actually become slaves uh, of sin. We, we don't end up being masters. And that's why the serpent's promise in the garden is so... Um, appealing and so deceptive because actually once the man and woman get what they want, what we want, to be like God without having to be in relationship with God, they actually find that they don't have what they wanted at all. Um, and that's what where domination leads. It, it actually, strangely enough, leads to the the one who would be master ends up being becoming completely so mastered by it. R- really, Satan is in the process of distorting power then, uh, from the very beginning and all the time. Uh-huh. I mean, think for example about Jesus there during the forty days in the wilderness, uh-huh. and the number of times that he was tempted. And and I always read those passages and thought to myself, Satan, you're an idiot. I mean, to begin with, you're going to say that you're going <laughs> to offer very God himself here, if you just bow down and worship me, I give you all of the kingdoms of the earth, and so on and so forth. And I always thought to myself, how can you give God what he already has? <laughs> it's all his to begin with. He created it all. So how can you give him what he already has? Yes, but, you know, in a way, Jesus is the only human being who has heard those temptations and not at some level given in. Mm-hmm. Now, not all of us uh, have heard the promise of every single kingdom, but all of us have that kind of twinge of an idea that we're made for more than we have. And, and that's true. Uh, we, you know, we're made in the image of God. We're made for much more than we currently experience. But Satan insinuates this idea that there's a shortcut to it, that it involves domination, that it involves kind of cheating God of what God, only God can give. And Jesus is the only human being who's ever realized that's actually not, uh, that bargain will not actually work out. It's actually a lie. And if, if he went through with it, he would find that Satan had mastered him. And instead, he came out of that temptation able to, to say no. Bring us back to this full circle of the issue of um, bringing power back into the balance. First, to understand mm-hmm. that it, it, it needs to first and foremost be used for the capacity to do good. And we see, when we really mention this even from the very get-go, as we see this in Scripture, the very first acts of God are cre- is the demonstration of creative power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think one question to ask is, you know, with whatever power I have today, you know, you mentioned I have a, I have a title, I'm executive editor of a magazine called Christianity Today. Well, that's a position of power. So the question is, I think there's a couple questions. One is, who am I using that power for? 
And if the answer is I'm using it mostly for my own benefit to, uh, you know, increase my own notoriety or fame or my own wealth or, you know, any number of things, then it's pr I'm probably going to end up using other people for my ends. But it might be possible to use even, you know, positions like that actually for others flourishing. And I think in the case of people who, say, own a business, so that it could be a small business or have a position like I do where you are in charge of some people, you, you actually are given power not for your own flourishing but for their flourishing. So one of the most important questions we can ask is, who is flourishing because I have power? <laughs> and if the answer is me and mine, that isn't very much like the true God, but if the answer is the people who actually are under my care are flourishing, they're becoming more of what they're meant to be, they're expressing their own power, they're getting to do things they, they wouldn't have gotten to do otherwise, then I think we're on the path to a much better use of power. If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Andy Crouch is with us. He's the author of Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. Now, when we come back after a quick timeout, we're going to go deeper into this topic, uh, how we can go about utilizing the creative and benevolent power that God has given to all of us um, in order to use it for his glory, to go deeper in our relationships, not with just with God on the vertical uh, plane, but with others on the horizontal plane as well, as Andy just referred to. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as we're discovering in our conversation tonight with Andy Crouch, and certainly displayed throughout so much of Scripture, uh, power can be used in very many good ways. We think of creative power. We think of the power that has been given to us unto salvation through Christ's substitutionary work on the cross. Uh, and yet, as we see the good side, the good aspects of power, we also recognize there's a power struggle. There's a balance between power being good, used for good or power being good, used for evil. How do we go about harnessing, harnessing power for the use for good, for the glory of the kingdom, and learn how to become, I guess, ultimately, Andy Crouch, trustees of power. We're, we're, we're kind of entrusted to this. It's just what we do with it, huh? <laughs> yes, that's right. And, you know, the title of my book is Playing God. And we usually say that like it's a bad thing. Uh, and it is a really bad thing if you're not playing the true God. But the, really, the question is not whether you're playing God or not. It's which God are you playing. You're going to play some image. You're going to bear some image with your life. Your life will either reflect the image of a false god, the god of domination, the god who has to get his own way, or it will reflect the, the image of the true god, the god who, when things went so terribly wrong, was even willing to give up his own son uh, to bear pain rather than inflict pain. Um, so it really comes down to w what you believe ultimate reality is about. And if you believe in, that the Christian gospel is true, it's going to change, I think, how you use the power you have and also who you use it for. You won't use it primarily for your own benefit, and you will use it, especially, it seems to me, for those who are the, the most vulnerable, the least and the last and, and the lost that Jesus talked about so many times. Jesus kind of reorients our use of our power towards people who can never pay us back necessarily, who can't benefit us, but who our exercise of power can actually help them flourish. 
This is kind of a delicate dance, isn't it? Because we see, for example, um, examples of uh, servant leaders. These are individuals who, who have power, maybe within an organization that they can hire and they can fire, things of this sort, uh, and yet they wish to, instead of putting that power to use to demonstrate how much power they have, rather mm. sharing it with others to, to empower them. It's interesting how perhaps the, the, there's a, a certain power of shared power, isn't there? Absolutely. And I think that's a, a wonderful model. And uh, in a way, you know, I think power really is, it's supposed to be used to serve. Um, that is to say, it's supposed to be used to help others flourish who would not have flourished if you didn't use your power. So if you have one of those positions, your responsibility is to make sure that other people flourish. And that's, in a way, the deepest, I think, sense of what serving well, is. Well, we, and we certainly see that, you know, throughout Scripture. I mean, for example, God is a righteous and holy God who created us, could have easily have said, well, huh. my creation has offended me, and therefore I'm going to use my power to punish and abolish my creation. Instead, he used his power to bring about victory over death and sin through the work that his son did on the cross amazing. And, you know, as amazing as creation is, in some ways, the new creation Paul talks about, which is the result of the, the giving of God and God's Son on the cross, is even more amazing. The new creation is just extraordinary that God reaches into this broken world and doesn't act simply to wipe things out or to even to command and control everything but starts recreating right in the midst of it and ultimately is going to make everything new, it says in Revelation. That's real power. <laughs> the ability to make all things new, to wipe tears from people's eyes, from everyone's eyes. Um, and we, of course, we only get a little taste of that uh, in our own lives. We're only given a tiny measure of that, and any more than we have would overwhelm us. But I do think we have access to that kind of recreating power, as well as the sort of original creativity that was human beings' birthright as image bearers. How do we start this process in terms of, I think, probably just evaluating where we're at in this power struggle uh, that we have yeah. with God, and uh, th of course that, that then spills over into every other relationship. How do we go about an analyzing, Andy, the way we're using our power, either to good or to yeah. evil, and then learn how to rebalance it so that it becomes a, a redemption of power? I think that's a fantastic question. And, you know, I would start with our uh, with our neighbor who we have seen, as James says. James says, you know, how can you love God who you haven't seen when you can't love your neighbor who you have seen? And we can sometimes be very clever about rationalizing our relationship with God, but our neighbor sees how we treat them. And I'm thinking maybe not so much our next-door neighbor, though it could be that, but the people who are closest to us, I think the place to start is to ask, very, to create an environment where you can honestly ask and honestly hear, how am I using whatever power I have? Um, and so husbands should ask this of their wives, uh, and wives should ask this of their husbands. It can start at home. It can happen in the workplace to say, you know, I have power in this position, perhaps, and asking the people who are affected by that, how am I doing, and making sure that they can a answer honestly. Now, that takes time. That takes building trust. But I think other people will – the other thing that happens, most of us don't think we have very much power. But when you ask other people, what are some of my gifts? What are areas where when I do this, it really creates things? They will they'll give you insight into the power you actually have, even if you don't have a title that seems like it has a lot of power or a position that seems like it has a lot of power. 
Now, let's talk then about relationship to bringing that power balance back in our in our relationship with God. Mm. So then I so once we've started to uh hear from our neighbors <laughs> how we're doing, I I think there's a huge place for, you know, what often the Christian tradition is called the spiritual disciplines. Because the spiritual disciplines actually put us in a very powerless place. When I fast or when I am silent or when I pray alone, there's no one to impress. <laughs> it's not something I'm very good at. I think the interesting thing about the spiritual disciplines, like fasting, is any, any human being, uh, any healthy adult human being can do that. It's not hard to do, and yet it's impossible to do it well. Then when you seriously take up a discipline of fasting, you discover how how uh, sort of uh, accustomed you are to filling every little need with food. And you discover how much you need God. And so I think the spiritual disciplines are, are ways that sort of train us to realize how dependent we've become on our own sense of ourselves and our own sense of power. And they, they sort of lay us open before God, and it's amazing what you discover about yourself in prayer as you practice these disciplines. And at the end of the day, it's not that God wants to strip us of power. It's how we channel it, how we direct that, how we use that power. He wants us to have true power, and more, I think, than we ever really imagined. Uh, you know, Paul, when he's trying to deal with the church in Corinth, and they're you know, taking each other to court, <laughs> he says, look, don't you know we're going to judge angels? I mean, there's an immense amount of power that is waiting to be conferred on these redeemed image bearers that God wants to bring back into his creation, the way it was originally meant to be. So God, you know, this is the, the, the great lie, is that God wants to take power away from us and keep us from having things we want, <laughs> when in fact God has more for us than we could ever imagine. But it's a matter of becoming the kind of uh, image bearers who can bear the weight of that and who can not be uh, kind of corrupted by it. To whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah, yeah. And that really kind of brings us full circle on this topic tonight. I sure appreciate you diving into this, Andy, because it's one that I think, you know, again, we, we look at all mankind and we see a power struggle going on. <clears throat> we look at history, we see a power struggle going on. We look at Scripture, we see a power struggle going on. We look at sin in our lives with God and we see a power struggle going on. It's not that power is a bad thing. I mean, Thank goodness for power. We wouldn't be on the radio right now if it wasn't for power. And yet if I walked up to one of the towers and decided to wrap my arms around it, I could also find out that the same power that's allowing our voices to get out all over the San Francisco Bay Area uh, could strike me dead in the wrong fashion in a quick second. So it really comes down to our relationship with power and what we do with it. Exactly. And the good news is God is at work in all this. And uh, that very thing that can electrocute, <laughs> and in a way did electrocute his son, right? His son suffered the worst that human power can do. That God can even overcome that and has something amazing on the other side of it that really brings a blessing to, to the world. And that's what I think the hope that we can have as we realize that power is everywhere, uh, but, but God's power to redeem and recreate and restore is everywhere as well. You, you might initially hear the topic and say, well, this is a good book. I'm going to get a copy from my boss. <laughs> um, or I have a husband or a wife or whomever that seems to be on a power trip. But really, all of us struggle at one level or another with power, trying to redefine what our relationship with power is, and then to learn that this is not something that um, should be shunned, per se, that in fact it's a gift from God. How do we, though, redeem it for his purposes? You'll find some great insights. <laughs>
Pardon me, inside the pages of Andy Crouch's new book called Simply Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. The new book, again, published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as uh, well, all the usual suspects, Amazon.com, etc. Andy Crouch, thanks so much for being with us. Great book, great conversation. Andy Crouch, executive editor of Christianity Today, author of the new book, Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You are driving home, no doubt. Lots of hustle and bustle and traffic all around you at the moment. But I want you to kind of focus for a moment, if you would. Picture your most idyllic spot to escape to. Maybe it's a small mountain cabin overlooking sun-kissed lake by summer and snow-capped mountains by winter. Perhaps a Spanish-style home with red-tile roof looking out onto the Great Plains with wild horses roaming about. Yours could be a waterfront view from a private beach surrounded by seagulls, waterfowl of every description, and the occasional passing fisherman. Now imagine for a moment such a spot, not just a getaway or a dream spot that you would hope to someday visit, if not read about, but rather a place you call home. Susan Walters calls such a place home, and we find out why inside the pages of a new book called At the End of the Ferry. Susan, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I must tell you, for most readers, no doubt, they look at your book and they begin to get drawn into the pages of your day-to-day life experience and must think, you know, this is either the fulfillment of a retirement dream or a lottery (laughs) winning. (laughs) Oh, it's just pretty special. You have spent your life as a professional writer. You were in the real estate world for quite a number of years. You've been in the hustle and bustle of of big towns with big names that we would all recognize. And now you've been able to kind of unplug from all of that and, in many respects, not just see nature for what it is, but I think at the same token, see God for who he is in all of this. And I have to wonder, as as your story tonight unfolds, first and foremost, people think about the quietness of the sea and watching the sunset and hearing the sound of the seagulls as they fly in and out and, and whatnot and have to wonder, well, wait a minute now. How in the madness of this day and age that we live in do you unplug from the clutter of the Internet, cell phone, text messages, and 55-inch widescreen TVs? Is this really possible? It really is possible, and it's truly a dream come true for me. And I was a big city girl for a long time, and we live in a small town. We still do big city things and have responsibilities, and it's a smell, a noise, a sound. It's really touching nature and, like you said, getting in touch and being still and being closer to, to the Lord. It's very, very special. Your book, At the End of the Ferry, really walks us through day-to-day life in your home that has, in so many respects, almost served as a magnifying glass to the wonder of the simplicity of life. What's that experience like on a day-to-day basis? It is truly a joy, you know, when you have not for 17 years, 17 summers, I had not gone barefoot. You know, I mean, you know, you get, like you said, into the hustle and bustle of life. And it's nice to take your eyes off of the computer screen and just focus on what's outside and just the random acts of, I would say, random and deliberate acts 
of the Lord and what he shows you through nature and wildlife and gardens and just a small northwest town. Give us the snapshot if you can. You're, you're up there in the Pacific Northwest, Puget Sound area for those that might be familiar. Maybe some people have had an opportunity to, to head up and visit the San Juan Islands. It's a spectacular part of the upper portion of the west coast of the United States. Mm. But your, your little hamlet there, tell us a bit about it. Paint the picture. Well, it is um, 90 feet of waterfront on the Puget Sound, and it is Woodlands Garden and just nature. I mean, we even had a bear in our yard, but, you know, I mean, we're close to town, but you get the wildlife and the nature, and we have eagles, and they eat off of a stump in our yard, and we have surprises every day. It's calming. It's peaceful. It's also wildlife. I mean, there's there's some wild things happening, too. So um, it's just fun taking in the oysters, the clams, the salmon. You know, we cook what we grow. We can get clams right off our beach. And it's just really a special, special place. Your place and the experiences that you share inside the pages of At the End of the Ferry strike me as as being celebratory of the the finer things in life, uh, being surprised by God, as you say, in so many delightful ways. And I, for the benefit of listeners, there are paragraphs where Susan talks about what happens when a seagull lands on your porch. Now, for most suburbanites, Susan, we wouldn't know it if a bus crashed through the living room. And yet you were able to stop for a moment, freeze a snapshot in time, and stop, and I would imagine just look at the wonder of the behavior. And I have to think for a moment, as you're surrounded by all of this beauty of God's creation, how can you but not stop and say, wow, God, what a wonderful, awesome God you are. It truly does make you be in awe. Just to be still and pay attention and have seeing eyes and touching, I feel very, very fortunate. I highly recommend people, wherever they live, just get in tune to what's what's out there around them. It could be a yellow jacket that falls asleep in a foxglove, you know, um, it could be a chipmunk, you know, the tree trunk traffic. It's a joy to just pay attention to. I just think these are gifts from God to us. Has this been a life-changing experience in the sense that getting away from the hustle and bustle of the noise and the traffic and being able to, again, realize that the big traffic jam is that the squirrel had to stop <laughs> to let the snake slither by, and it took all of 10 minutes to transpire. I mean, I, I realize not all of us can have kind of the on Golden Pond experience. I, I remember that one scene, you probably recall if you saw the film with Henry Fonda and, and Catherine Hepburn when she talks about the color lilies are in bloom again. Such a wonderful <laughs> opportunity. Was this kind of a life-changing experience for you then? It was. It was It was an absolute dream of mine. We had vacationed up here for years and years. Sometimes I would cry when we had to go home because I just, I loved it. I just saw so much that just spoke to my soul. I would say it definitely changed me in that I wasn't a high-profile job. I still had to work and make a living, and I still hit the wall on some things. I mean, even though I got to live in this small northwest town, but it definitely made me a more peaceful person, definitely brought me closer to the Lord, and I treasure this experience in this world. I just feel very, very fortunate and blessed. 
If you've just joined our conversation, Susan Walters with us tonight. We're talking about her delightful new book called At the End of the Ferry. It's an opportunity to really kind of escape from the madness and get reconnected with the simpler, finer things in life. And in many ways to recognize that even as we often in day-to-day living as we're heading to and from work and stopping the kids off at uh, soccer practice, going by and picking up uh, groceries at Safeway or Costco and getting home and paying the bills and the water heater is leaking in the garage and, you know, all of that stuff that we go through that at the end of the day, sometimes we need to make an intentional decision to disconnect from that. Step away, as Susan suggests, maybe walk out into the backyard and just contemplate for a moment the honeybee busying its work around the blossom of a tree and recognizing the interdependence that those two have with each other, that the tree does not bring forth fruit save the pollinization job done by the honeybee, and that, in a sense, the life is of, of that fruit tree is dependent upon the honeybee as much as we, oftentimes not aware of God's presence, but nevertheless must depend on his presence for very life itself, our very breath, every single day. To pause for a moment and ponder the wonder of the ability to inhale and exhale, and the joy that that brings, all inside the pages of this new book. And we're going to talk more about life at the end of the ferry with Susan Walters as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Truth be told, I could just sit and listen to that for the balance of my life and never complain. Susan Walters getting just such an experience detailed inside the pages of At the End of the Ferry. The book, by the way, is available on the web. You can check it out at christianreading.com forward slash S Walters, W-A-L-T-E-R-S. Or you can order the book by calling toll free 866-909-2665. That's 866-909-2665. As we move back to your story, Susan, I would imagine there must be times when there's this sense of God sort of through nature vigorously shouting, I'm here, I made all this, and I love you. Do you feel like that at times? <laughs> Absolutely. It's pretty incredible. And it's hard to describe, but you, you know it in your heart, and you would never want to give it up. And by the way, Craig, I have your constant comment ready with two lumps of sugar and some lemon. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I'll be right there. <laughs> it is definitely showing me how God is omnipresent. He's there. He's there. He's in nature. It gives you a peacefulness, and it allows you to be still and know that He is God. It's um, really, really a treasure. When you walk out on your front porch and you're surveying and kind of taking in everything around you, do you have time, Susan, when you wonder, how can an atheist be an atheist? And I ask that question because you you look at all of this, and, and to me, in so many ways, it shouts God's glory and God's presence. Absolutely. We had a butterfly bush and never had one of those before, and the the spider ate the butterfly. You see these things and you say, this just can't happen. Just man didn't do this, you know. And it's really more than you can comprehend. And sometimes I don't have the words for it, but that's why I journaled it. I thought, I have to tell this story. Every day I have to write down because every day 
the Lord is showing me something that is so spectacular and so miraculous and that only he could do. And it's definitely brought me closer to him. What about the town, too? I would imagine as much as this has been kind of a life-changing experience for you to turn off the, the din of the madness and allow God to have his way. Are people different, too? Do you see it affected in the lives of people around you oh, as well? Oh, absolutely. And they love to talk about nature. They love to talk about wildlife. If they saw a great blue heron nest or they saw an osprey get kicked out of a nest because the eagle wanted it, you know, they'll, they talk about nature. They talk about wildlife. It's just very common. It's just... Very casual. Um, the people, no, no, you're not going to tell me people do things like bake cookies and rolls and bring them <laughs> piping hot over to your house, are you? Absolutely. You know, very giving, very into each other and neighborly. And they bring me bouquets of flowers they grew in their garden. You know, I bake um, homemade cinnamon rolls and the neighbors know about those. And they know about my granola chocolate chip cookies. And we um, share things or blueberries or raspberries. You know, when it's the season, we take them to each other. And it is a fun, small town. It's special people. It's um, Santa Claus rides on the fire truck through the neighborhood and throws candy at the kids, you know, <laughs> at Christmas time. And it has a lot of uh, very, very special things. It must do a lot in terms of renewing your sense of hope for this country, too. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. It's uh, people care about each other. You know, these people care. They get involved. They're not out in the boonies or anything like that. I mean, we're a half hour ferry boat ride from Seattle, so we're right near the city. They know their neighbors. We get together as neighbors. We'll have um, dinners where we go one house to the other, and we care about what's going on in the world, and we care about what's going on in our town kind of see this this circle happening here where you get away from the madness, the outdoor grows bigger, and as it does so, it ends up amplifying the voice of God. Now you get closer in your relationship with Him, and then after a season, the outdoor gets smaller, and friends and people and the things in life that really matter get bigger. Do they? It's definitely about values. It's definitely about loving your neighbor as yourself. To treasure one another and care about one another, and then then you care about the bigger picture, too. So many of the chapters, and I'll mention to listeners, this is an easy read. It's a delightful read. It's one of those reads where you pick it up over the cup of coffee or tea or two or three. Uh, you, <laughs> you really fly through page by page, put it down, and then set it aside for a day or two, and then come back and say, you know, I need to get away again. And you pick up the book and you start, and every chapter leads you into something new. I've read the book through and then in preparation for our conversation today, started to go through it again. And I was struck mm -hmm. you talking there one point, I think it's somewhere along the month of August or, or September. It's, it's getting into the fall season and you talk about a squirrel. And I thought, <laughs> what an escape for those of us in the big city where the biggest thief in the neighborhood doesn't have a rap sheet a mile high, but rather in your case has a, a pile of acorns a mile high, you know? <laughs> This squirrel actually took the tomatoes I was growing and dried them up on our rooftop, you know, to eat them. You know, so, you know I, I don't know. It's, it's just fun seeing uh, nature do its thing. It is a mental vacation, definitely. And, in fact, an attorney friend from Seattle told me that it's really kind of caused him to just, you know, stop and pay more attention to what's going on you know, around. And, and but, when friends and family come in from the big town, Seattle, to visit, are they astonished after a, a while there at your home, Susan, that, that flowers have names? 
Well, they really do have names. I mean, that that came from the nursery with that name, you know. I mean, they love to come here. Even my brother and my four nephews and nieces and his wife live in Seattle, and they love to come over here. It's a different world. It is a slower world. It's a beautiful world. I get calls from North Carolina relatives and friends from Tennessee from asking to come visit, and they love it. It's it's refreshing. It's very special. I feel very, very blessed. I, just hearing you describe it, I, I can smell mulling spices <laughs> and the apple cider on the stove. <laughs> You're right. And you and you replaced that stove, I understand. I understand you had a little visit from the fire department. The old uh, <laughs> yeah. oil stove finally finally gave up the ghost, so to speak. You still have, you know, you, you, you talked about water heater leaking, things like that. You know, you still have real life things happen. And yeah, the fire department came and that old stove had to go. Your heating system up here, by the way, is really special. You know, wood burning or little pot belly stoves. One of the things men that have read my book like is the story about the egg man, that we go to an egg ranch to get our eggs, and a lot of people sell things, honey. So we go to their house and get our honey, or we go, of course, farmer's markets, which you guys have down there too. But this egg man, he lives down this windy road past two ponds, and it's always something exciting in those ponds, Siberian snow geese or waterfowl or... Today I, I saw, I couldn't tell if it was a coyote or a fox, actually, but this egg man, and he's got an old refrigerator, an outbuilding, and it functions as just an old refrigerator, and we just go help ourselves, and, and we went down there, and we got our eggs, and the dormer window of this old brick house opened up upstairs, and I see this man in his plaid pajamas leaning out the window, and he said, are there any eggs? Are we out of eggs? And we said, no, we got them, and he kind of laughed. I think he went back to bed, and we didn't realize it was before 6 in the morning. I had been writing all morning, early morning and night, and didn't realize the time it was. And we just have experiences like that. Well, the fact that you can inter- interact with people in that kind of a fashion, you know, kind of pays tribute to to an older and simpler time in America, a time that most of us thought had kind of slipped through our fingers like the, the sands going through the hourglass. And yet, what a delight and relief to know that, that places like this still exist, and they still exist here in America, and people like Susan Walters are able to write about those experiences and share them then with all of us. And and I think in many respects, beyond just, Susan, your reflection of life on the Puget Sound and and the ability to hear and see God in in so many ways maybe is not so obvious to the person in the, you know, uh, traffic lines, smog-clogged city streets that we have in in the urban areas. It's been for you, I would imagine, an opportunity to almost kind of evangelize the word that God is still alive and well and his creation all about us shouts his glory. Absolutely. Definitely a simpler life and definitely values that I think that loving him and loving our neighbor as ourselves that's the greatest command and we're, we're really able to do that and people see it. Katie who wrote on the back of my book is a young woman I've been mentoring and she it's really you know changed her life. She knew the Lord but she really wants to walk closer with him and she's got three little boys and she's she's a, actually a meteorologist in Phoenix, Arizona and it definitely has an impact. It does. It overflows. It definitely overflows. That's my hope that the book will bring joy to people, help them to see that even in the tough times, and there are tough times right now in the economy and people are losing their homes and things, and that it will really bring them closer to the Lord and um, help them to see what what's really valuable. And, you know, as you point out, oftentimes the, the greatness of the wonder of God's love for us is not in the castles built by man, but might be as simple as stepping out in the backyard and looking at the interaction between, uh, you know, the bee and the tree, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. and just be able to witness God's love for us 
firsthand in things that we oftentimes look right past, don't we? Absolutely. Just the peacefulness of mind and soul. And I I know in quietness and confidence shall be your strength is one of my favorite verses. And I just think um, to have a quiet and peaceable life is very rich. And it doesn't have to be money or riches. And it can be a pot of petunias on your little patio. For all of us that would like to be able to get away and to reconnect with God, I think this in, in very simple ways accomplishes that. The book, again, is called At the End of the Ferry. And you can get more information about ordering it by calling 866-909-2665. Again, 866-909-2665, or online, as I say, at christianreading.com forward slash S. Walters. Now, many in the audience will know your husband, and I'm, and I'm fearful to let the cat out of the bag only because the phone will be ringing off the hook with reservation requests. <laughs> so uh, we sure appreciate, though, Susan, you taking some time to uh, share your story and your experiences with our listeners here tonight in Northern California, and most delightfully to, in a sense, uh, open your heart and your lives and your home and the bounty of God's created world there in the Pacific Northwest uh, inside the new book. And I just urge folks, you look to get away, boy, here's an easy way to do it that'll get you away and get you back to God at the end of the ferry. And Susan Walters, thanks so much for the time, Susan. Thank you, Craig, so much. Take care. Always a delight. Take care now. And again, remind you the book newly published by Zulon. You can get it online at christianreading.com forward slash S. Walters at the end of the ferry. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.